Welcome to the Solo 2.0 podcast, where two sisters, Jess and Rye, focused on health and hormone balance to help you step into that 2.0 version of you. Growing up, we heard all about hormones, sometimes more than we wanted, from our mom, who is a hormone health educator. As we got older, we rebelled and experienced our own health struggles and ups and downs. But today we have businesses helping people get in tune with their bodies, break free from restrictive eating and lifestyle habits, and learn how to balance their hormones naturally. So what can you expect from this podcast? Honest conversations and hot topics that should be more mainstream, like period health, cycle tracking, non-hormonal birth control, and our unique take on fad diets and trends that aren't always so supportive for women. Plus, interviews with health and wellness entrepreneurs making a big impact in the world. Ladies, it's time we align with our powers and redefine what healthy means to us. Let's get into it. Hello, and welcome back to the Solo 2.0 podcast. This is Jess, holistic health coach and founder of Body Bliss by Jess. And during most episodes, I am joined by my lovely sister, Rye Birch, co-founder of Your Hormone Balance. But today, you just have me. I'm doing a long overdue solo episode. Let's hope that I can keep this to an hour because there's so much to say on this topic. We're going to be talking all things cycle syncing. Now, if you are a woman of reproductive age, you have a menstrual cycle, this episode is going to be for you. Basically, if you are a person with a menstrual cycle, this episode is going to be for you. But on the same note, if you're thinking, oh, I don't have a menstrual cycle because maybe your cycle went missing after coming off of hormonal birth control, you know, that can be referenced as post-pill amenorrhea, or maybe you're postpartum, or maybe your cycle just all of a sudden disappeared for underlying hormonal imbalance reasons, most likely. You can still tune in and get a lot of benefit from this episode because I'm also going to talk about how you might be able to incorporate cycle syncing in a slightly modified way to help support your hormones and to just support the way that you feel and how in tuned you are with your body. Cycle syncing is a method that was actually created by Elisa Vitti. She is the author of Woman Code. She is the author of In the Flow, FLO, which is an awesome book that really dives into what cycle syncing is. She breaks down the four phases, what's happening with your hormones in each phase, and how to support it through food and movement and self care. And, you know, I've heard from a lot of people through Instagram and my own clients and friends that, you know, they've heard about the cycle singing method, but they feel like it's a little bit overwhelming. They're not really sure where to start. They feel like it's actually a little bit rigid. Um, you know, some clients have even told me it starts to feel like just another diet or something that they're failing at and that it's kind of stressful because it's a lot to remember and keep track of. And I totally hear you. And I totally agree because I actually felt the same way when I first learned about it. I felt like it was super cool and it made a lot of sense. And it was something that I wanted to learn how to do for myself and eventually be able to coach clients through. But I also felt like, how am I ever going to remember like all the hormonal shifts that are happening, all the different foods that I'm supposed to incorporate at different times of the month, how I'm supposed to align my workouts, like what supplements are great? What should I be doing? What shouldn't I be doing? The last thing we want to do when we're incorporating a method that's supposed to help you balance your hormones and improve symptoms is add more stress to your plate. Because as we know, stress negatively impacts our hormonal balance and obviously a degree of stress is inevitable, but we don't need to be piling on more stressors like this that feel like one more thing that's just, you know, way too much to have on our plates. So I'm glad that I waited to do this episode till later on because 
over the last, I would say mostly the last year, I've really dove headfirst into this method and figuring out how I could incorporate it in my own life in a way that was really manageable and fun and how I could help clients do the same thing. And now through my one-on-one online coaching program, I have a lot of clients who are starting to incorporate the cycle syncing method in a way that works for them too. And they're loving it and they're seeing great results and they're feeling so much more tuned in with their body. So this is why I think it's going to be really fun to do this episode while, you know, this is something that I've noticed great benefits from. And now that I know how to kind of explain it in a way that I think is a lot more approachable. So first and foremost, cycle syncing is really a way that as a cyclical body, we can get in alignment with our bodies and start to understand the shifts and the changes that happen throughout the month, throughout our monthly cycle. So it's important to note that men, they operate off of a 24-hour circadian clock. So essentially, their hormones are doing the exact same thing every 24 hours. Women, we have a 24-hour clock too, but we also have what's called the infradian rhythm. And this is the 28-day approximate monthly cycle. We hear the number 28 days a lot because it's just kind of an average, but anywhere between about 26 and 35 days-ish is normal. Anything outside of that could be a red flag that maybe there's some underlying hormonal imbalances that you might want to get checked out. And most likely you're experiencing symptoms as well. So it's not just going to be that your cycle is shorter or longer than the average cycle, but it's also going to be that you're experiencing symptoms. So um, anyway, we have this approximate month-long infradian rhythm and our hormones are fluctuating throughout that entire month. And there's four phases of each menstrual cycle. So there's the menstrual phase, the follicular phase, the ovulatory phase, and the luteal phase. And I'm going to go into depth into each one of these phases. But essentially with cycle syncing, you're you're learning how to align the changes that are happening with your hormones throughout the month with foods that are going to nourish your hormonal fluctuations, forms of exercise and movement that are going to nourish your hormones, self-care practices, even sexual practices, and how you are at work and with your friends, your social life. It's really aligning the way that you eat, you move, you live with your cyclical body. The benefits of cycle syncing are actually a lot. It's pretty cool, but Top line, improving hormonal balance, reducing PMS symptoms like bloating, mood swings, headaches, cravings, um, you know, tender boobs, stuff like that, making your workout routine more effective and enjoyable. I mean, there's nothing worse than just killing yourself at the gym and not seeing any results. Um, it can help to reduce the risk of injury during and after workouts. It can help reduce period symptoms like painful periods and mood swings, It can help you to feel a lot more energized and balanced. It can provide fertility support and when the best time is to try to conceive, which is awesome. It can improve the quality of your sleep. And what I love about it is that it can help you get more in tune with your body and have more grace and understanding for yourself and just the changes that you experience with your mood, your cravings, 
kind of what feels good, what doesn't. Uh, that was been a big benefit for me is just feeling so much more in alignment with my body. And that's what I hear from a lot of women as well. So what I don't like about the cycle syncing method is when I hear people feeling like it's just too complicated, it's too overwhelming, it's too strict, it's too rigid, it's expensive because they feel like they have to add in like so many esoteric food items or supplements. Um, I just don't want people to feel like they have to only follow the recommendations as listed in each phase because it also needs to be about tuning in to figuring out what works for you and your unique body, your hormones, you know, what's happening in your life. There's going to be general guide guidelines for, you know, how to cycle sync, but it's going to be different based on, on your body. If you have hormonal imbalances, then, you know, you're not necessarily going to feel the way that you quote unquote should feel during each one of the phases because of these imbalances. And therefore you may not be able to follow the exact recommendations because it doesn't actually support your body at this phase in life. So I just want it to be individualized and I want it to be approachable and sustainable. All right. So pretty sure that breaks down what it is, who created it and some of the amazing benefits and so how do we get started if we do want to cycle sync? So first and foremost, you want to mark on a calendar when you finish the last day of your period. Well, you want to mark on the calendar the first day of your period. So once you start bleeding, that begins your menstrual phase and you want to mark that day on a calendar. It could be a paper calendar if you want. I'm a huge fan of apps just because they provide a lot more information and support. The MyFlow app by Elisa Vidi is a really great one to use. Um, also, the 28 app is so cool. And it's actually an app that one of my clients turned me on to. And shout out to Felicia, because I know she listens to this podcast. And ever since she told me about it, I've been recommending it to so many different clients. And what I really like about the 28 app is that not only can you track your cycle in there, but it gives you so much support in terms of, you know, little workouts that you can do. Like they have little yoga flows and like ab workouts and stuff like that to support where you are in your cycle. Um, it also helps you understand what's going on hormonally, uh, what mood shifts you might be experiencing, what food cravings you might have and foods that can support you. Um, understanding kind of the spiritual side of things. Um, it's also just really pretty and well-designed. So it just feels very feminine and it just feels like a nice, calm space to go into. Sometimes apps are just really aggressive the way they're designed. It's like so masculine and this is just so calming and feminine and it's like a joyful place to be. So that's the one that I really like. Um, but I also love that with my flow, you can more easily track your symptoms. Um, another app that you might consider would be Natural Cycles or the Aura Ring. And Aura Ring has a partnership with Natural Cycles so that you can actually take your basal body temperature, which is a really important part of understanding when you ovulate. So I'm going to not go through that right now just because we want to go through the basics first of how you get started, but just Note that I'm going to come back to maybe the benefits of using an app like Natural Cycles or like Aura Ring. I personally use right now the 28 app, and I also use Aura Ring with Natural Cycles. And there's a reason that I want to use both. And like I said, I'll explain that later. So first and foremost, find a way that you're going to track your cycle. Mark day one of your bleed on your calendar, and then make sure to mark the last day of your period as well. 
you will consider the next day after your period ends, the start of the second phase, which is the follicular phase. So the first phase of the menstrual cycle is the menstrual phase. And this phase lasts anywhere between about four to seven days, depending on the person. And again, that's going to kind of vary based on the person, but also based on your hormones. And then the next phase is the follicular phase. And that starts the day after your period ends. So that's when you'll know that you start the follicular phase. And then after the follicular phase ends, you're going to move into the ovulatory phase. And that is the fertile phase. That's the only phase of the month where you can actually get pregnant. So the follicular phase is about seven to 10 days. Again, that'll depend. The ovulatory phase is about four to six days and, or about three to six days. And that's because there's just one day of ovulation, but there's up to five days that sperm can survive inside of us via peak cervical fluid, which we'll get into a little bit more here later. And then after the ovulatory phase, you go into the fourth and final phase and that's the luteal phase that is often broken up into early luteal phase and late luteal phase. And that is anywhere between about 10 to 14 days, again, with fluctuations depending on the person. And so those are the four phases. And again, you will know the menstrual phase, obviously, based on when you're bleeding. You'll know the start of the follicular phase because it'll be the day after your period ends. The ovulatory phase is a little bit more tricky, so we'll get into knowing when you approach that phase. And then the luteal phase, you'll know that you've approached that um, once your basal body temperature consistently rises through tracking your basal body temperature. So again, that's something that we're going to get into a little bit later because that is a little bit more um, important and um, it requires an extra step. Okay, so if you are somebody who has no idea what these four phases are and what's happening hormonally during each phase, don't you worry. I'm actually going to get into that right now. And I'm also going to... Actually, I'm going to just start by listing out each of the phases and talking about hormonally just really quickly what's going on during each phase. And I'm not going to go into depth because I really want to get to the recommendation action side of things. So the menstrual phase is kind of like winter and it is when the uterine lining is shedding. It means an egg was not fertilized, which results in your period. And the first day of bleeding is day one. All hormones are at their lowest, so it's natural to feel lower energy. It's a good time to rest, replenish, and reflect. There is the greatest communication between your left and right brain hemispheres, so you might feel just more intuitive. It's a really good time to ask yourself, what feels really good right now in my life, and what do I want to make room for? What or who do I need to shed this month or this phase? along with my uterine lining, right? Uterine lining is shedding. Let's let other stuff shed along with it that's no longer serving us. So it's a really good time for reflection and projection. It's a good time to say set boundaries and just say, you know, no, thank you. When you're not in the mood, it's just so important to listen to your body and choose what's honestly going to be supportive without comparing yourself to somebody else, without comparing yourself to your partner, without comparing yourself to people on Instagram and without really strict and rigid rules. I'm going to get into this more, but yes, 
It is going to be natural, especially the first one to two days of your bleed to be feeling lower energy and to just not be feeling like getting in a lot of exercise or movement. But I will be getting into some myths around cycle syncing. And one of them is that you just need to rest and do yoga and walk during this phase. That really isn't true. And actually, a lot of women feel really good during the menstrual phase and they have pretty good energy levels and they can actually do more and it can benefit them to do a little bit more. So that's a teaser of what's coming up. The second phase is going to be, like I said, the follicular phase. And this phase is going to be when the follicle-stimulating hormone, or FSH, increases to help your eggs mature in the ovaries. So this follicle-stimulating hormone is stimulating the eggs and these follicles to grow. And estrogen and testosterone slowly begin to rise. It's important to note that estrogen and testosterone are two hormones that both men and women have. Estrogen is thought of as the female hormone. And yes, that's true, but men make it in smaller amounts. And testosterone is thought of as the male hormone, which is true, but women also make it just in smaller amounts than men. But rising estrogen and testosterone can equate to rising energy levels and stamina. It's a really great time for creativity and trying new things. Um, light and fresh foods and things that support your gut health are really important. And as, like I said, testosterone rises, you can feel stronger. You can feel more confident. So it's a really good time to just challenge yourself to lifting heavier weights, um, maybe getting a little bit explorative in the bedroom, if you know what I mean, and just have fun trying new exotic foods, new forms of movement, trying new classes, things like that. Um, and don't worry, I'm going to get really specific, but these are just the quick overviews of each phase so that you know you have an idea and we can go back to each one and give a lot more detail. So the third phase, the ovulatory phase, this one is thought of like summer. And I, sorry, back up, follicular phase is like spring. So menstrual phase, winter, follicular phase, spring, ovulatory phase is like summer. There is a peak in estrogen right before you ovulate, which signals a surge in luteinizing hormone or LH. And that is what triggers ovulation within 24 to 48 hours of that surge. It's also important to note that the peak in estrogen also is what helps us to produce more cervical fluid, which I will explain. So an egg is released from the dominant follicle, which is essentially the winner of the race. And that egg is released within an ovary into the fallopian tube where it can become fertilized by sperm. So that's where you can become pregnant. It's why it's called the fertile phase. It's why it's the only phase that you can actually get pregnant. And that's a huge myth. I know in school when we had, even if a lot of us didn't even have sex education classes, but if we did have a sex education class or we had a health class, we were usually taught that we could get pregnant pretty much any day of the month. And therefore we just became really afraid of having sex. And, you know, we're just thinking like, oh my gosh, if I just look at a person wrong, then I can, you know, get pregnant. But that's absolutely not the truth. There's just this one phase that you can actually conceive, which is actually why it is can be so hard for women to get pregnant because there's this small window. And these high levels of estrogen, like I said, they prompt your cervix to release the slippery egg white 
cervical mucus. I like to call it fluid because I get a little cringy with the word mucus, but I'm getting more adjusted to it. Um, mucus just makes me think of like talking a loogie. And I think that's why I don't like it, but it is this really important fluid that helps sperm along in their journey to the egg. So I kind of think of it like a slip and slide. It helps the sperm slip and slide over to reach the egg and to potentially um, get you pregnant. So we only ovulate one day per month, but sperm can live inside of us via that peak cervical fluid for as long as five days, which like I said, means that you can only get pregnant up to about six days per month. And an increase in hormones, including estrogen and testosterone, can boost your confidence. It has you feeling more social. Um, usually, it's a good time for high, higher intensity workouts and cardio. And again, we'll get more into that as we go on. And then the fourth and final phase is the luteal phase. And this one is like autumn. And so we've got that early and that late luteal phase. This is when the egg has been released from the ovary. And that remaining follicle that used to house the egg, it transforms into this really cool temporary gland called the corpus luteum. And the corpus luteum produces progesterone. And we can actually only produce progesterone, we only produce progesterone upon ovulation, which is why ovulation is so important. It is the main event of the menstrual cycle. It's really the purpose for the menstrual cycle is ovulation. So if we are not producing enough progesterone, then we can experience a lot of hormonal imbalances. And that's actually how hormonal birth control prevents against pregnancy is pregnancy is that it shuts down ovulation so that we're no longer producing our own progesterone. So we might have, you know, we have synthetic progesterone in if we're taking a progestin estrogen birth control pill, but it's not natural production. Our own natural production is shut down. So if you are, so in the beginning of this phase, hormones peak. So estrogen peaks again, progesterone peaks. Progesterone really runs the second half of the menstrual cycle. The first half of the menstrual cycle is run by estrogen. The second half is progesterone. And all hormones drop right before you get your period. And that's really where we can experience that PMS, that dreaded PMS week, the premenstrual week where, you know, a lot of women unfortunately experience symptoms. And again, that can be common, but it's not normal. So having, you know, fuller breasts, feeling more tired, feeling more hungry, feeling a little bit bloated, like that is all pretty normal, but feeling really lethargic, having super intense cravings, migraines, um, really painful boobs, cystic acne, all of those things are common, but they're not normal. And it's a sign that your hormones need some TLC. During this phase, your metabolism speeds up. So it's important to listen to your hunger cues and add more fuel to support your blood sugar levels and prevent bad PMS. And I'm going to dive deeper into that as well. So hopefully that gives you a really good, clear outline and that you have a little bit more understanding of what each phase is and kind of what's happening from a hormonal standpoint. Now I want to get into some of the questions. So one of the questions was about ovulation. So a lot of people are confused on how do I know when I'm fertile? Like how do I know when the ovulation phase starts and when it ends? And the other 
thing that I hear from a lot of people is that they know when they ovulate because their tracking app tells them when they're ovulating. And this is a huge myth. Your ovulation, your tracking app cannot tell you when you're ovulating. It has no idea. It's just providing a prediction based on the amount of days of your cycle. So if you have a 30-day cycle, for example, then it's probably going to tell you that you ovulate on day 15. But that is just so not the case for most women. They don't have a predicted date like that. And an app has no way of knowing other than just calculating out the average. And so, and again, just on a quick side note, if you're super new to all of this, how do you know the length of your cycle, your cycle length? Well, day one of your period is day one. And then the day before the last day of your period, you would mark that on the calendar. So let's say that day one of your period started just for ease. Let's say it started August 1st. And then the last day of your period was August 28th. That means that you have a 28-day cycle. So that's a really easy way of doing it. And so I want to really clear this up because ovulation is extremely important. If you're not trying to get pregnant, you want to make sure that you know when you're ovulating, when you're fertile, especially if you're not on any type of hormonal birth control, which would be ideal. Um, But then too, if you are trying to conceive You also want to know when you're ovulating so that you can plan sexy time during the right phase of your cycle, during the right days. So, okay. So how do you know when you're ovulating? Well, there's a couple of ways. One is going to be that you track your cervical fluid or cervical. You guess that word I don't love. Um, And you can do that throughout the whole month. So essentially, you know, I don't want to dive too deep into cervical fluid tracking um, because that would be, that would make this episode a lot longer, but essentially your cervical fluid changes in the ovulation phase and right before ovulation occurs, your cervical fluid will increase. So it'll become clearer, more slippery, it's been compared to egg whites. So it has that egg white consistency where it's like, you could honestly stretch it between your fingers and it would stretch like an egg white. And ideally the way that you would track that is you would, before you go to the bathroom, you would just use a clean paper towel or napkin, whatever, toilet paper. Um, and you would wipe And you would look down to see if there's any cervical fluid and you could, you should be able to see it on there. For some women, they have to insert a clean index finger inside of um, their vagina, inside of the cervix to see if anything comes out. Um, You know, a lot of people don't feel comfortable doing this. It feels a little awkward at first. Some people even think it's really gross. But the more that you get adapted to it and adjusted to it, trust me, I thought this too at first. I was like, oh my God, I'm not going to do that. That's so weird. But now I see it as the coolest messages for my body. I'm like, oh, wow, I'm approaching the fertile phase. Like I'm super fertile right now. Okay, this is great to know, right? So we have wet phases and we have dry phases. A dry phase example would actually be during our period week because even though we're bleeding, we don't have, it's going to be the driest when it comes to cervical fluid. 
And then it will start to change throughout the remainder of the month. And there's actually some really cool graphics illustrations that you can use online. Um, I'll actually link one of them in the show notes so that you can see, um, you know, kind of the changes that you might be looking for in that cervical fluid and also understand how to chart it better. But um, just in general, know that the period week is a dry phase and then the ovulation phase is when you're going to see that peak cervical fluid that's really stretchy it's really abundant it's clear um after your period ends it's going the consistency can be a little bit dry or tacky it might even be a little bit yellow tinged um and then as you get closer to ovulation it's going to become more creamy almost like hand lotion or it could be wet and cloudy but that peak cervical fluid is going to be stretchy. It's going to be slippery. It's going to be very wet. And then after ovulation, it's going to start to dry up until menstruation occurs again. So look for that chart in the show notes. Um, also link an article that we wrote on our blog um, on your hormone balance so you can understand how to check it out a little bit more and get really comfortable with it. But when you see that, then it's a signal to you like, oh, okay, I'm super fertile right now. I need to, you know use caution, use protection. If I'm going to have sex, if I don't want to get pregnant or Hey, let's have some sexy time if we are trying to conceive. So that's the first way of knowing that ovulation is approaching and that you are moving into the fertile phase. Now to find out if you have ovulated, then you'll want to take your basal body temperature. And this is super important. After ovulation, we produce progesterone and progesterone is a thermogenic hormone. It heats up the body and it's going to result in a rise in our basal body temperature by about 0.5 to one degree. And when we see that, that temperature should stay risen until our period starts over again. Um, and then it will drop, or if you're pregnant, it'll continue to stay elevated. And so it's really important that you track this and you can track this through using a basal thermometer, which you can order on Amazon, but I would definitely recommend, and you could track it on a printable chart, but I would definitely recommend using an app. Um, the reason why I like natural cycles is because it comes with a basal body thermometer and it allows you to take your basal body temperature every morning. So when you wake up, You'll put it under your tongue before you go to the bathroom, before you do anything, and it will take your temperature. It'll beep, and then you can sync it to the app, and it will keep track of your temperature each day. And then once the app has enough information, enough data from you, which will take a little bit of time, it has an algorithm that will be able to tell you if you are fertile or if you're not fertile. And so that is... It's awesome because it basically is a form of non-hormonal birth control, um, but it requires consistency, which is super, super important. If you're not consistent with it, it's not going to work. And it's really important to know that, you know, your basal body temperature, it can rise for a number of different reasons. It can increase if you were sick. It increases, it can increase if you had alcohol or got really bad sleep the night before, or you were traveling in different time zones. It can increase if you get up to go to the bathroom, which is why you don't want to do that before you take your temperature. Um, so there's a lot of things that can create, it, 
you know, inaccuracies within the tracking, which is why it's really important that you're consistent with it so that the app can gather enough data. And it's actually why I really prefer right now the Aura Ring because Aura Ring, even though, yeah, it is a little bit expensive, it is a good investment, especially if you really, you know, you're, you've come off hormonal birth control, you want a non-hormonal way to track your cycle and to prevent pregnancy or to family plan. Um, you want it to be accurate, right? So I love the Aura Ring because you wear it as a ring and it can track your basal body temperature and they have an integration with natural cycles. So you can wear the ring overnight. And then when you wake up, you go into the natural cycle app, you click sync to aura ring, and then it will take the temperature from your aura ring and input it into the natural cycles app. And it gathers averages throughout the month. So it's actually more accurate than using the basal body temperature thermometer um, because it can filter out some of those, um, you know, discrepancies and fluctuations based on all the things that I just mentioned. And also for some people, just a lot of people actually wearing the ring is easier because it's so much easier to just put on a ring, set it and forget it kind of thing. Right. But with the thermometer, you have to remember to put it in your mouth every single day. A lot of people forget. So I think from a consistency standpoint, it is a better option. Um, there's also called something called temp drop, which is a wearable armband that tracks your basal body temperature. And it's really awesome too. So that could be another one to look into, but um, just using natural cycles as a form of non-hormonal birth control, it's 93% effective with typical use and 98% effective with perfect use. And when you pair that, with cervical fluid tracking and also with tracking your symptoms, it's even more effective. It's up to 99.6% effective at preventing pregnancy. And it's actually called the fertility awareness method or more accurately, the symptothermal method is you taking track of your basal body temperature, your cervical fluid changes throughout the month and your symptoms. And if you can do all of those things, and you learn how to use the method correctly because it is user dependent, it can be highly effective. Um, like I said, up to 99.6% effective with perfect use. And then with typical use, 98 to 99% effective. There's a Frank Herman PubMed study, which backs it all up. And I'll link that in the show notes. Um, and I'll also link the blog post that we wrote on this fertility awareness method and how to use it. And so, um, a lot of what I talked about will be in this, this blog. So this is why we can't rely on our tracking apps to tell us when we're ovulating because it requires a lot more data. And I know it might sound complicated and like a lot of work, but trust me when I say, when you have a device like Aura Ring, it makes it so easy or even natural cycles. Like I said, Aura Ring is easier, but natural cycles is more affordable. And it's also really effective if you use it consistently. I used it for like three years and successfully. So that's a really great option as well. And then the cervical fluid tracking, it's just something that you get used to. It's really easy to check it. And you know, it's not something that I even check every single day anymore. I just know now around the time that I ovulate. So I start to check for it about a week before. And that's really all I do. And it's so easy. I mean, I really don't even have to think about it at this point. And I think we just can kind of overcomplicate it. So I think knowing, you know, if you're somebody where you're like, I'm going to forget to take my temperature every morning, or it's just too complicated for me to like get one off Amazon and track it and chart it and learn all that, which I do think is a little 
trickier and also not going to be as accurate. If, if you can do it, it is worth the investment in something like Aura Ring. And I literally have no association with them. I paid full price for my Aura Ring, but I just find it to be really helpful. And it also tracks your steps and your heart rate and things like that. So you get more than just um, the basal body temperature tracking. All right. So that's when you know you're ovulating. And again, it's going to be anywhere from about three to six or seven days. And that's when you want to use protection um, if you don't want to get pregnant and it's the time where you would want to, um, you know, get at it if you are trying to get pregnant. So, all right, that was a major question. Hopefully I helped answer that. Um, and then I did have a couple people want to know, can I track my cycle if I'm on hormonal on the pill, on the hormonal birth control pill? So if you're using the pill, it means that your hormones are suppressed um, so your natural hormone levels are suppressed by the synthetic hormones in the pill. And even if you have a bleed, even if you bleed on the pill, it's not a true period. It's a withdrawal bleed. And it was actually created by marketers because marketers were afraid that if women didn't have a period bleed, that they would be freaked out. So they added those sugar pills and the bleed that you experience is not, is not a true bleed. Um, you're also not going to be ovulating. So you're not going to experience the same hormonal shifts and changes with your cycle. So technically you wouldn't be able to practice cycle syncing right now. Um, same kind of thing with not having any cycles. So if you have post-pill amenorrhea or just amenorrhea, or you have a missing site, a missing period, um, your postpartum, you know, depending on why you don't have a period, it's important to look at the root, you know, are there hormonal imbalances potentially at play, like maybe PCOS, or like I said, hypothalamic amenorrhea. And it would be important to get to the root of those underlying issues and figure out a plan for rebalancing so that you can get your period back naturally. Um, but what I will say is that I think it can actually be really cool to cycle sync while you are on the pill, if you're considering transitioning off of it at some point and, or if you don't have a cycle and one way that you can do it is you can actually cycle with the moon phases. So like the new moon to the full moon, and I won't break it down. It sounds a little bit woo woo, but it's just a cool way of living in alignment, living cyclically, slick, sick, Likely and practicing getting in the habit of cycle syncing so that once you do have a cycle that comes back, you're already in the habit of cycle syncing. You already know how to use the method. And hopefully, in using a lot of tips and tricks from the cycle syncing method, it'll actually support you in bringing back a natural cycle if you don't have one. And also, if you're planning on coming off of hormonal birth control, it can help you once you make that transition to support balancing your hormones easier after the pill and dampening symptoms that can pop up post-pill. Um, the app 28 is also really cool because there's a function where it allows you, if you don't have a period, to start cycle syncing with the moon phases. So I'm a big fan of it. I think it can be really helpful. If you have irregular periods, in short, you can cycle sync. You just have to track your cycles and shift what you're doing based on the phase that you're in. So you might have a much longer luteal phase. You might have a shorter follicular phase. So, you know, it's just important again to also work on any underlying cause of why you have irregular periods. And again, this is 
usually going to be certain hormonal imbalances, mainly estrogen dominance and low progesterone. And this is why testing your hormones is key. And then using cycle syncing to improve regularity, um, also keeping stress low, making sure you're eating enough protein, eating enough calories, um, and just supporting your body. These are all things that are going to help to regulate your periods. And so a quick note on that, if you are somebody who has really painful periods, if you're somebody who has really bad PMS, then it's super important that you get to the root of that. And we offer hormone testing via our family business. We test in saliva, which is more accurate than standard blood testing. And um, I'll put a article in the show notes for five reasons we prefer saliva testing to standard blood testing, because to get into it would just put me way over time. But essentially, we can help you get to the root of these hidden hormonal imbalances. You can test from the comfort of your home. We test your estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, DHEA, and cortisol four times throughout the day, which is really the gold standard because cortisol levels should be the highest in the morning to get you out of bed with energy and gradually taper off to their lowest point at night to help you sleep. And oftentimes, we see a reverse or we see you know levels completely opposite of what they should be. And it makes a lot of sense as two symptoms that people are experiencing. We also match up your levels with your symptoms. So you fill in a symptom requisition form and we will connect, the lab will connect all of your symptoms directly with your imbalances. So it makes a whole lot of sense. And so many women feel so validated once they get their hormones tested because a lot of times they'll get their hormones tested in blood and everything comes back normal, but that's not how they feel. And that's not their experience. And so getting hormone test results that come back and show these hidden imbalances, which happens in a large percentage of our clients, it can be just a great roadmap to feel like, okay, now I know what's at the root and now I can take steps to rebalance naturally. We offer custom guides that allow you to get a plan for, you know, next steps based on your unique results when it comes to nutrition, lifestyle, movement, supplementation. Um, You can also add on a consultation call with my mom, our hormone health educator to really dive into your results and help you understand them. Or you can book a call with me and I'm really the next steps girl. So I help you with like, okay, we have all the information. What are some tangible things that we can start to implement that are going to be simple and easy, but that are really going to help to move the needle forward. So if you're interested in testing, you can actually use the code balance and bliss for $50 off our testing. And we do split payment options as well. And I will link um, yourhormonebalance.com in the show notes, as well as our symptom quiz and the discount code if you're interested. But testing your hormones and cycle syncing at the same time is just going to make it that much better. So, okay. The next question I have is, oh, okay. so. How, why do I feel hangry the week before my period? And why do I crave so much chocolate? I love this question. So one way, one reason that you feel hangry before your period is that, like I said, progesterone is a thermogenic hormone. It heats up the body. It revs up your metabolism. And because it revs up your metabolism, It means that your body actually requires more fuel to thrive. And in fact, studies have shown, and Elisa Vidya is big on talking about this, that most women need about 250 to 300 additional calories during the luteal phase of their menstrual cycle to support the body's needs. And that is why 
you might notice that especially the week before your period, you're just hangry and foods that would normally satisfy you don't. And that on top of it, you're craving so many sweets and chocolate. Now, I would advise that even if you are doing a weight loss plan, and I do this with a lot of my clients who are focused on weight loss, even if you're focused on weight loss and you're in a calorie deficit and you've reduced your calories in order to lose weight, if you are somebody that experiences this hunger before your period, which you probably are if you're a menstruator, then I would say that it's important to add in at least 200 more calories. That might mean that you're eating at your maintenance calories, that you're eating what it requires to maintain your weight. So between two and 300 calories, and just do that for at least the week before your period, because that's usually when women experience the most hunger. But if you need to do it for the whole luteal phase. So what you can actually do is you could do, I have a lot of clients that will be in their deficit where they're um, reducing their calories and increasing their protein for three weeks out of the month. And then the week before their period, they increase their calories back up to maintenance or at least by 200 to 300 calories. And then once they get their period, then they drop their calories again and make sure to keep protein high. That's a hack that I have. Another hack is if you're not focused on weight loss, if you're not tracking you know, your macros or anything like that, that you can just intuitively add in an extra snack. I would have the snack come from protein because protein is the most satiating macro. It's going to keep you the fullest for the longest. And it's also going to just support your liver, which is really important. The liver helps us to excrete excess hormones, especially estrogen to help balance hormones. Um, It helps also support the gut, which is really important. So we want to ensure that if we're adding in another snack, that it's really coming um, majority from protein. So you could add in like a homemade protein balls, or I love cottage cheese. I feel like cottage cheese is having a moment right now, which for good reason, but you could make like a, I know it sounds so weird, but there's a lot of recipes on Instagram for cottage cheese ice cream. And it's actually really good. Look it up. Um, But I love just like a cottage cheese bowl with um, fruit and maybe some nuts and um, I'll sweeten it up with like some monk fruit, something like that, or a little protein shake. I like to make a protein latte where I take, I make superfood latte mixes and I'll take one of my superfood latte mixes, like my chai latte mix, and I'll mix it in with like a cup of flax milk. I love the brand Malibu milk really rich in omega threes. And I will do a scoop of protein or sometimes just a half scoop of protein. I'll blend it up and I'll heat it up on the stove and I'll top it with cinnamon, which is really good for blood sugar balance. And I'll have that as my snack with maybe a little side of lesser evil popcorn, which is my favorite popcorn. It's made with Himalayan salt and avocado oil, nutritional yeast, stuff like that. And that's a really great extra two to 300 calorie snack, depending on how you make it with protein and it's going to satiate you. You're going to feel so much better. It's going to support and reducing symptoms. So that's how I would honor that increase in your metabolism and that need for extra calories. And that is why you're hungry. So this is an example of how simple it can be with cycle syncing. Literally, if you did nothing else during the luteal phase, like focusing on just honoring your, your cravings and your hunger hormones and knowing like, okay, I just need to add in and give myself permission to add in an extra snack, but make sure that it comes, you know, majority from protein so that I'm going to optimize the way that I want to feel and help hopefully offset some of those PMS symptoms. Why do you crave chocolate? Well, um, there could be a few reasons or craving sweets. We tend to be, when it comes to sweet cravings, we tend to be more insulin resistant. 
during the luteal phase. So we need to be more mindful of balancing our blood sugar levels. And so I always say, you know, use my sexy six formula, which you can download for free via the link in my bio to help you build a blood sugar balancing meal. It's going to have, you know, proteins and fats and fiber and healthy nutrient rich carbs and veggies and herbs and seasonings. Use that sexy six formula all month long, but it's especially important to be really diligent about using it during the luteal phase, because you are more insulin resistant. And when you're more insulin resistant, you're going to have a harder time clearing sugar from the bloodstream and moving it into the cells where it can be used for fuel and energy. Um, You're also just going to be more sensitive to high carbohydrate, high sugar meals. You're going to feel more crashy and cravy afterwards and lower energy. Um, And it's going to impact your inflammation levels, which can make ultimately your period more painful and increase symptoms of PMS as well. So when we have sugar cravings, that is the body's way of saying, I need more balance. I need better balanced blood sugar. Um, And so a way of doing that, and this is a tip that I have all month long, but just being more conscientious of it during this phase is prioritizing protein first And then complementing your protein with a healthy fat source like avocado, extra virgin olive oil, nuts or seeds. And from there, um, adding in a nutrient-rich carbohydrate if you want one. So maybe that's like a sweet potato or a slice of whole grain bread or butternut squash, um, something like that, banana. But, you know, instead of choosing the carb first, choosing the protein and the fat first and then complementing the carb with all of that stuff, because that's going to help to better balance your blood sugar and help um, you to be more insulin sensitive. You might crave chocolate because there is some suspicion and link to chocolate cravings and magnesium deficiency. So magnesium is a mineral that is responsible for a lot of different processes in the body over 350. And when we're deficient in magnesium, that can really heighten our PMS. That can have us be more fatigued, more anxious. Um, We can have more like cramping, especially after workouts, Um, more like period cramping as well, heightened cravings, um, more headaches. So uh, by taking a magnesium supplement, a high quality supplement, I love the brand two by four nutrition and incorporating cacao or dark chocolates, hence the chocolate cravings, we can naturally increase our levels of magnesium. Cacao is one of the richest sources of magnesium in the world. So you can enjoy that dark chocolate. It's literally, again, your body's way of sending you a message that, Hey, I'm craving chocolate for a reason. I need magnesium. I mean, you can add more magnesium into your diet. That's going to help you sleep better, reduce anxiety, reduce those cramps, reduce headaches. I get migraines, so it's like a non-negotiable for me to do magnesium. Um, If you take it in supplement form, I highly recommend glycinate. Um, That form is really high quality. And um, yeah, it's just, you know, again, your body is sending you messages. So incorporate some dark chocolate, maybe do, you know, a couple pieces of dark chocolate with you know, dipped in nut butter, something like that as a little treat. Um, You could make like a chocolate nice cream. Um, You could make chocolate protein balls. I love to have some Greek yogurt with dark chocolate chips in there and some fruit for some dessert. There's lots of ways to incorporate dark chocolate. 
So I don't think you'll have a problem with that. <laughs> uh, but dark chocolate is the key. You want to look for one that doesn't have a lot of added, doesn't have, you know, hopefully no added dairy or sugar, because we don't want to, we don't want to increase inflammation with that dairy and that sugar. So who kitchen is a really good brand. Um, Endangered Species is another good brand. Um, I'm blanking on other ones. Justin's, they have really good dark chocolate um, peanut butter cups, which might have a little added sugar, but it's, you know, I think it's from a better quality source. So um, those are all some ideas for you there as well. Okay, what else? Okay, why is it that I'm not as resilient to, or I, I feel way more exhausted after a HIIT training workout or cardio the week before my period than I do in other times of the month. Now, this is super fascinating. So during the luteal phase, we are less resilient to stress because our resting cortisol stress hormone levels are naturally higher. So we're less resilient to stress. So our body can't handle stress as well. It doesn't know how to process it as well. And stress is not just emotional or physical stress. It's not just getting in a fight with our partner or having a deadline at work or, you know, getting cut off by a jerk in traffic. Like that's not the only form of stress. Stress can come in the form of injury. It can come in the form of illness. It can come in the form of traveling, being in different time zones, poor sleep, um, using toxic products. Um, also just like environmental toxins, unfortunately, which are hard to avoid. Um, but a big one is over-exercising and under-eating, eating too low of calories, training way too hard, and also not getting in enough vitamins and minerals and enough protein. So those are all stressors on the body. Caffeine, alcohol, skipping meals, these are all stressors. So your body's going to be way less resilient to those things. So if you pile on the alcohol and the caffeine and you have a really stressful day at work, and you're trying to restrict your calories, all of these things are going to add up and boom, you're going to experience worse bloating. You're going to experience more pain during your periods. You're going to experience more fatigue, more cravings, harder time bouncing back after getting sick. Worse hangover is like, I mean, it goes on and on. Worse migraines, right? That's something that manifests for me. So one thing that I like to say is take stock of the stressors in your life and really try to balance them out, especially during the luteal phase. So I like to say, if you're somebody who drinks coffee, can you go decaf at least during the luteal phase? Or can you really dial back to like a half calf? One thing that I never recommend is coffee on an empty stomach. This is a big stressor on the body. So just as a hack all month long, but especially during the luteal phase, make sure that any coffee that you have in the morning, you're pairing it with a full meal with something that has protein and fat. So that's going to, again, better balance your blood sugar and your cortisol levels. So if you are having caffeine, make sure it's paired that way and also try to reduce it. Can you do a half calf? Um, if you drink matcha, could you switch to like a decaf version? Like I, like I said, I sell these superfood latte mixes on my website, which I'll link in the show notes, but you could do like my golden chai, which is basically a decaf rooibos chai with turmeric, really calming, really anti-inflammatory, super supportive during this phase. And also while on your period, um, can you switch to maybe a cacao hot cocoa? Again, I have something called the Rose and Shine a latte mix, which is cacao and beet and cinnamon and monk fruit. 
And all of those ingredients together are really supportive during this time. And you could even add in um, a dandy blend, which is, um, it's a natural um, blend that is decaf and it tastes like coffee, which is really cool. And it's also really good for the gut. So that you could order on Amazon and you could mix a dandy blend to try to, it's, it's an herbal beverage basically that can take the place of coffee, but it's going to be a lot more supportive and it's just going to give you that feeling of having coffee. So I love to take my cacao blend, the rose and shine and mix it with a dandy blend. And it just feels like you're having coffee. You still get that ritual. You can still turn it into a latte, but you're reducing your caffeine intake. So can you reduce caffeine during this time? Um, can you reduce your alcohol intake. Maybe this is a really good time to take a little break from alcohol or to really dial back and really be mindful of when and how much you have. Um, can you have, you know, one drink and then switch to sparkling water afterwards? Um, you also, because you're less resilient to stress, you're not going to have as much energy or feel as playful and social. So this is a really good time to maybe not have as most, many social events on the calendar, to just dial back. Um, this would be a great time to do, give yourself a little spa day if you can, even if you can't afford to go out to a spa, like create a spa day from home with essential oils and a nice shower and get a little face mask and, you know, pamper yourself, play some French cafe spa music, um, and just enjoy, you know, honoring what your body needs. And then, um, sugars again are going to be more inflammatory and stressful to the body. So this is a really good time to take stock of, you know, can you make sexy swaps, you know, swap out, you know, like a, Reese's peanut butter cup for like a Lily's sugar-free peanut butter cup or the Justin's peanut butter cup. Um, can you swap out the sugary margarita for like a tequila soda, you know? So things like that, making those swaps is going to be really helpful. And then when it comes to overtraining, this is a really good time the late luteal phase, especially the week before your period, this is where we want to dial way back on any high intensity exercise because it's adding more fuel to the flame. It can make inflammation worse. It can make our PMS worse. And we're probably not going to have the energy for it. So if you're somebody who's like, oh my gosh, I just can't understand why I just don't have the energy for this HIIT training workout, that's why because your body is sending you a message that that's not what it needs right now. It needs something more calming and more restorative. So during the late luteal phase, I recommend honestly eliminating any HIIT training, eliminating any high intensity exercise. If you can running, um, you know, boot camp classes, all that stuff and replacing it with restorative movement, like walking and yoga and Pilates and strength training. Strength training is a really hormone supportive form of movement that you can do safely all month long. It doesn't spike cortisol levels very much, especially if you're not doing it circuit style, if you're doing, you know, just normal strength training. Um, it also helps to increase healthy levels of testosterone, which can in turn help your stamina and your energy levels, which is really great. Um, and also your sex drive. And it also helps to clear blood or to clear sugar from the bloodstream to help you be more insulin sensitive. Um, so if we are more insulin resistant during the luteal phase of our cycle, and we have a harder time clearing that sugar from the bloodstream and using it as energy, one way that we can offset that is by doing something like strength training. 
And that's going to really benefit us and help to balance blood sugar. Same thing with walking. Walking is one of the best forms of movement that we can do for our heart, for our mind, for our stress levels, for, you know, fat loss, if that's a goal. And it's so easy on our body and it can help reduce cortisol levels in a major way. And it can also help to better balance our blood sugar. So that's huge for me. The week before my period, I do just strength training and I walk. And that's pretty much it. And I do yoga, like 10 minutes of yoga each morning. And it's so perfect. It's so nice to be in a place where I no longer force myself to crazy hit training classes and boot camp classes just because I feel like I should. It's like, no, that's not what my body needs and it's not beneficial. And guess what? Your body is going to hang on to fat as a survival mechanism if you're doing too much high intensity training, especially during this phase of your cycle. And it's going to be, you're working so hard in these high intensity workouts and maybe not seeing the best results. And potentially if you just slowed things down a bit and allowed the body to release some stress, then you would see better results, not having to kill yourself and do as much. So that's a huge benefit. You can actually see better results from all the training that you do when you slow down during this phase. Take a sip of water real quick. One sec. So. That's going to answer the question of, you know, why is it that I don't feel like doing these crazy intense workouts? That also answers some questions around nutrition as well. And on the flip side, you know, why do I feel really energized, more energized for cardio and HIIT training at other phases of my cycle? Why, how, why can I bounce back faster from lack of sleep? Stuff like that. So during the follicular phase and during the ovulatory phase, these are, this is the phase. So the follicular phase after your period ends, this is going to be where our resting cortisol levels are actually naturally lower. So we are more resilient to stress. And during the menstrual phase, actually as well, our hormones are at their lowest point. So it's kind of the the most similar that they will be to a men's hormone, male hormones than at any other time of the month. So we can actually be a little bit more resilient to stress during that time as well. However, that's a little bit finicky because based on the female, you know, if you have really painful periods, if you have hormonal imbalances, you're going to probably feel really run down and you're not going to be as resilient and you might feel more inflamed as well. So in all of these phases, it's really important to tune in and listen to your body and know that everybody is so different. So just know that during the follicular and the ovulatory phases, especially resting cortisol levels, that stress hormone is naturally lower. That makes us more resilient to stress. That means that if we have a little bit more alcohol than during the luteal phase, we have a little less sleep, we have a little bit more sugar, our body is actually able to bounce back a little bit faster. We're more insulin sensitive. So we're not as insulin resistant, meaning that we can better balance our blood sugars easier. We have a little bit more resiliency to more carbohydrates and um, we're able to, you know, utilize them better for energy. So this is where I'm not saying go buck wild, but this would be a good phase to, you know, maybe have matcha instead of your decaf chai. Um, you could go for your full cup of coffee if you handle coffee well in the morning. But again, make sure that you have it after a full meal or at least after a couple bites of a meal that's balanced with protein and fats and carbs. 
And, you know, you might operate, you might wake up after six hours of sleep and be like, I feel fine versus the luteal phase where you wake up after six hours of sleep and you feel like you're hit by a truck. Um, you might be able to go through different time zones and travel and just feel like you're adjusting better to jet lag. Um, you might have, uh, you might bounce back faster from a hangover, but on that same side, you can also handle, you might be able to handle some more high intensity exercise. And in addition, like I said before, your estrogen and your testosterone are on the rise. So that also lends itself to more stamina and energy coupled with the fact that you have more resilience to stress. So the follicular and the ovulatory phases are a good time to add in a bit more cardio. Maybe this is a time to you know, start running a little bit more or doing some of those boot camp classes or doing short, you know, 20 minute intervals or doing sprints on the treadmill. I hate running, but I do like to do some sprints every once in a while where I will sprint for 30 seconds, walk for 30 seconds, sprint for 30 seconds. I literally only do it for 10 minutes, but it's great. And that can also help because during the follicular and ovulatory phases, your metabolism slows down a little bit. So to offset a slower metabolism, adding in some more cardio can actually support in addition to your appetite being a little bit more reduced. So more lighter, vibrant foods like salads and smoothies might sound a little bit better to you and you might feel more satiated from them as well. But again, blood sugar balance is key. I'm going to repeat that over and over again. Um, And so that's where... It's going to be, again, important to listen to your body. Everybody's so different. But in general, you might feel really great as your hormone levels start to rise during this phase. Now, if you don't, you feel really flat, especially around ovulation. If when estrogen peaks, you just feel horrible, that could be a sign that you have too much estrogen relative to your progesterone, that maybe you're estrogen dominant and that that hormonal fluctuation makes you feel really flat or makes you just feel, you know, mood swinging or off or just not yourself. And that's, again, a sign that you might want to get your hormones looked into and that we need to focus on hormone support and hormone balance before you can get to a place where you can add in HIIT training and you can add in, you know, longer runs and things like that. In general, for hormone support and for supporting your adrenals, I don't recommend ever doing more than, I would say, two to three days max of HIIT training and keeping it to no more than 20 minutes in length. Because too much HIIT training or high-intensity cardio of any kind is going to impact your adrenals. It's going to impact your cortisol, and ultimately, it can backfire in more symptoms, and it can, like I said, cause the body to hold on to fat for a survival mechanism. So it's always important to balance out whatever workouts you're doing with rest days, with restorative movement, like walking, yoga, Pilates, whatever you enjoy. And I always want to hammer home that you have to listen to your body. If you wake up and you see that you're in your ovulatory phase and you have no energy and you're fatigued, I don't want you to say to yourself, well, I'm in my ovulatory phase. My energy level should be skyrocketing. I should be doing hit. So I'm going to do it. No, you got to listen to your body. If it doesn't feel right for you, don't do it. But just know that, you know, if you do feel energized, if you do wake up feeling great, that that's a really good time to hit it a little bit harder to maybe try to hit those personal PRs, to try a new workout class, to just explore, go on a new hike, things like that. During the menstrual phase, after the 
first couple days of your bleed, a lot of women start to feel more energized and actually feel really good in their workouts. And so you can still strength train. You can still um, do some cardio. I think it's a big myth that during your period, you have to just lay around and rest or just go for walks or just do yoga. And we hear that a lot from practitioners that promote the cycle syncing method, but it's just not the truth. You have to listen to your body. If you feel really good because your hormone levels are more like the profile of a man's hormone levels that you might actually be able to lift pretty heavy weights. You might actually be able to go for some short runs, but I would say again, you know, the first, at least one to two, maybe three days of your cycle, that would be a good time to go a little bit more inward, to take a little bit more rest, to do more stretching and walking, but I wouldn't be still, I wouldn't be stagnant because in the menstrual phase, bleeding is a natural state of inflammation. It's natural, but it's inflammation nonetheless. So in order to reduce inflammation, you do want to move your body. You do want to get some movement. So think about what's going to feel good for you. But actually one great way of reducing some of that inflammation is by doing some sprints. So if you're up for it, if you have the energy, just like I said, go on the treadmill or go outside and run for 30 seconds, walk for 30 seconds, run for 30 seconds, walk for 30 seconds, or even run for 30 seconds, walk for two minutes, run for 30, like just get your heart rate up a little bit. And that can be really beneficial. You could do that on a Peloton. You could do that on a bike. You could do that on a roller machine, like any way that you want to do sprints is awesome. So just know that there are some myths around how you should work out that I personally don't agree with based on the research that I've done and based on working with a lot of clients and implementing it in my own life. Strength training is something that you can literally do all month long. It's really hormone supportive. The one thing I would say is during the late luteal phase, if you're really tired, you know, if you don't have as much energy for your workouts, but you may not honor that. And I would say, you know, do less sets, do maybe two sets instead of three sets. Um, you maybe want to lift a little bit lighter or maybe just don't try to increase your weights or take more rest time between sets. There's a lot of ways that you can modify it to meet you where you're at. And then of course, complement it with lots of that restorative movement as well. All right. So I'm already over an hour, which I figured I would be. So this might be an hour and a half, but hopefully this is helpful and that you're following so far. And now when it comes to nutrition, one of the questions I got is, do I have to only follow the recommendations for foods for each phase or how does that work? So I kind of don't go off of that. I, I don't create a list of eat and do not eat foods for each phase. There's just some basic guidelines that I think can be really helpful to follow. So number one is during the menstrual phase, we are bleeding. And through that blood that we lose, we also bleed out iron. And we lose zinc and iron. So it's important to replenish the body with that zinc and iron, especially the iron. If we have low iron levels, then we're going to feel really low energy. So, and, uh, you know, for women that are anemic too, it's really important. So what I would say is just be really intentional about adding in those iron foods. So one tradition that I'm starting is that every month on my period month, I'm going to go and I'm going to get a burger 
because red meat is a great source of iron. Ideally, it would be an organic or grass-fed burger, but it not it's not always that. I actually just went to Shake Shack for the first time, which is a huge craze here in LA. And I was kind of skeptical because I feel like it's a fad, but it actually was so good. And it was so fun to just have that little ritual. I went with my sister and we just got burgers. I added avocado. I had the bun. I had the cheese. Um, but I, I omitted the fries. I didn't have any fries. I just had the burger and I just fully enjoyed it. And I had that protein. I had the fats to complement it. I had the carbs. So it felt really balanced. And I got in that iron. It was just a fun ritual. So I think creating a ritual around these recommendations that doesn't make it feel rigid actually makes it feel really fun and gives you permission to enjoy something different like that. Um, but you could also, you know, obviously get your iron in other ways as well. But I will say that animal protein, the red meat is going to be one of the best, most bioavailable ways to get in your, um, to get in your iron. So another recommendation is to pair your non-heme or your plant-based iron. So for example, like kale is a really good source of iron to pair your kale with some vitamin C, aka lemon. So let's say you did like kale chips with lemon, that's going to increase the absorption of the iron. So that's another little tip there as well. A great source of zinc is going to be dark chocolate and pumpkin seeds. So adding something like that in is going to be really awesome. Um, Who doesn't love an excuse to add in a little more dark chocolate? So, you know, really that's it. What I'm going to say is that's one of the biggest tips for the menstrual phase is just iron rich foods and some zinc rich foods. And you can look up a list of iron rich foods. There's going to be a lot of them, but I really do think that if you do eat meat, it's going to be beneficial if you can do a little bit of red meat. I personally don't love red meat. I barely eat it, but during my period week, that's when I do add it in. Um, You can get iron from tofu. I definitely recommend going organic with your tofu. You can get some iron in lentils. Um, You can get iron from some seafood like shrimp. Um, You can also get it from other sources of protein like turkey and chicken. Um, Liver is actually super nutrient dense if you're open to that. Um, So yeah. And then, you know, vegetables, like I said, like kale, collards, spinach, those are going to be some good sources of iron too. So that's a big thing during the menstrual phase. The other thing is because we are with a, we do have this inflammatory state going for anti-inflammatory foods is going to reduce period pain and cramping and bloating. So anti-inflammatory foods are going to be things like avocado, extra virgin olive oil, seeds, um, fatty fish, coconut, things like that. So the more anti-inflammatory anti-inflammatory foods that you can incorporate, the better. Adding turmeric and ginger to our meals, those are highly anti-inflammatory. So those are the main things for the menstrual phase. Now for the follicular and ovulatory phases, this is where we really want to support the gut and liver because hormones like estrogen and testosterone are on the rise. And estrogen is the hormone where we want to use it and then we want to lose it. We don't want it to recirculate in the body because then it wreaks havoc And that's when we can become estrogen dominant and that can make our PMS symptoms a lot worse. And so we want to be sure that we're effectively excreting that excess estrogen and we can do that by supporting the gut and the liver. Um, You could add in 
to support the gut and the liver, you want to make sure that you're getting enough protein. You want to make sure that you're getting cruciferous vegetables, which is going to kind of depend on how much you eat those based on what your hormone levels are doing. But if you have a lot of PMS symptoms, tender breasts, things like that, um, if you have symptoms of estrogen dominance, especially cruciferous vegetables are going to be amazing. Things like Brussels sprouts, kale, cauliflower, um, bok choy, cabbage, they have a compound in them called DIM, which helps to sweep excess estrogen out of the body and helps to sweep toxins out of the body as well. So increasing your consumption of cruciferous vegetables, I would definitely roast them or bake them versus eating them raw because that's going to help with better digestion. Um, so yeah, I would do them cooked or roasted or baked or whatever, but just not eating them raw if you can. Um, other ways of supporting the liver foods like beets, beets are really, really helpful for liver detoxification. You can roast beets. You can get the just beets that are already cooked and cooled and you can add those to salads. Um, you could add a beet powder to like your smoothies. Um, again, my superfood latte mixes, my rose and shine one has beet powder in there. So that's a really great one as well. So I love, love beets for the liver. Um, and then I met, I touched on protein, but especially proteins that contain all nine essential amino acids that the body needs to thrive and that we can't get from our bodies don't produce it on its own. We have to get it from food. Those nine essential amino acids support liver detoxification. So that's where we want to get complete protein. So animal protein is going to be the best source for complete protein. So wild-caught fish, grass-fed meat, organic poultry. Um, if you're vegetarian, you know, organic pasture-raised eggs are going to be great. Or if you're, if you're vegan, um, getting in some tofu in moderation, um, like organic tofu or fermented tempeh is even better. But making sure that you're getting those complete proteins. I also lean heavily on protein powder, but you want to make sure that you have a really good brand. I love the Love Sweat Fitness brand and also Just Ingredients. Um, I'll try to link those in the show notes too. But those are incredible because they're really easy to digest. They're made with really high quality ingredients and you're getting about 22 grams of protein per scoop. In general, we want to aim for at least 0.7 to 1 gram of protein per pound of body weight, of ideal body weight. So a lot of women that I work with, they're not eating anywhere near that. So calculate that for you and that'll be pretty eye-opening. And I would say to just aim, you know, in general, try to aim for at least 25 to 35 grams of protein per meal and about, you know, 15 grams per snack. So that again is something that I would focus on all month long, getting that 0.7 to one gram of protein per pound of body weight. That's going to help for so many reasons that I can't dive into right now, but Protein, protein, protein. That's all I can say. Uh, what else during that? So yeah, gut healthy foods like sauerkraut and kimchi, probiotic rich foods. Those are going to be really supportive as well. But honestly, they're going to be supportive all month long. It's just that when our hormone levels, especially estrogen, are rising during the follicular and ovulatory phases, we want to just really support excreting the excess estrogen. And, and we do that by supporting the gut and the liver. Because our, like I said before, because our metabolism is slightly slower, it could be a good time to 
really focus on if you are in a fat loss or a weight loss phase, focus on being in that calorie deficit. This is going to be a whole nother story, but for clients that work with me, they know that I will never put somebody in a calorie deficit that's way too low. Like I'm never going to put you on a 1200, 1300, 1400 calorie diet. Rare circumstances where I would have you under 1500 calories. If you are, and you've been doing that for a while, I'm going to work with you for a while and getting those calories up and supporting your hormones and supporting your thyroid before we can even think about dropping your calories. But if you are in a good place from a hormonal standpoint, to be in a caloric deficit, we want to make sure that you're getting plenty of protein first and foremost, and that you're getting a variety of nutrient rich foods. But during the follicular and ovulatory phase, it's going to be a really good time for you to focus on your calorie deficit on your fat loss phase because your metabolism is slightly slower and your hunger cues are going to be a little bit more balanced. And you're probably going to find yourself a lot more satiated than in the luteal phase. I don't recommend intermittent fasting. That can be another stressor on the body. But if you're doing it, the time to do it would be during the follicular and ovulatory phases. Even during the menstrual phase could be okay. But I would say as a female to not do any fasting longer than 12 to 14 hours. If you have a hormonal imbalance, I wouldn't suggest fasting really at all. I would absolutely suggest eating breakfast because that's going to better balance your blood sugar level and it's going to help to balance out your cortisol levels and to really just have you feel satiated and calm. A lot of people that I work with that have done intermittent fasting, it adds stress to the body because they're constantly thinking about food. They're counting down the hours until they can eat again. And if that's you, it's just really not going to be supportive for you in any way. And if you're doing it because you want to lose weight, really the only reason why it helps with weight loss is because you're cutting out an entire meal and it's reducing your calories. And there are ways of doing that without having to cut out an entire meal and without having to create such food obsession and you know anxiety around food. I just, I don't see it being that helpful for most women that I work with. There are some circumstances where it can be beneficial. Um, you know, for some women in menopause, it could be beneficial for some women um, with different hormonal circumstances. It could be beneficial, but I think in general, breakfast is super important. And if we're being real with ourselves, most people like to eat breakfast. So um, it's also going to, you know, support your adrenals. So I just wanted to put that out there too. All right. So during the luteal phase, again, it's really important that we support the gut, that we support the liver, but it's also going to be important that we increase consumption of nutrient-rich carbohydrates because we are a little bit more insulin resistant. We want to have, we want to focus majority on carbs that are nutrient dense, that have a lot of fiber and vitamins and minerals. So things like sweet potatoes, roasted carrots, wild rice, beans, peas, winter squash, pumpkin, buckwheat, sprouted grains, all of those kinds of things are going to be really supportive. But again, pair them with your proteins and pair them with your fats. But that's also going to really be supportive during this phase. Do not cut carbohydrates during the luteal phase, especially because serotonin, our feel-good hormone, can be produced from carbohydrates. So if we're not eating enough carbs, we can have a really low mood, which is why no wonder so many of us feel hangry and frustrated and annoyed when we can't have carbs. 
our body again is sending us a message. Hey girl, I need some carbs. I need some carbs. Carbs are going to help to balance our mood. They're going to help to, uh, when we are focused on making changes to our physique, we want to lose weight, whatever it is we want to tone up. It's going to be important that we incorporate nutrient-rich carbohydrates because they're going to give us energy. It's the body's preferred source of energy or carbs. They're going to give us energy. They're going to lift our moods. They're going to help us with more regular ovulation. It's going to help to prevent that stress, that cortisol spike. But the most important thing is that you just know how to pair your carbs, that you're not eating them naked. You're not having you know, a piece of bread by itself. You're pairing that bread with protein and fats. So for example, you're having a piece of toast, but you have grass-fed butter on there and you have, you know, some turkey and some eggs, you know, something like that. Or instead of having a banana by itself, you have a banana cut up into a protein shake. You know, that those sorts of things are going to be game-changing, but certainly not cutting out the carbohydrates. If you feel just moody and down when you've cut out carbs, again, that's the body's way of saying that it's not right for you. And in fact, I don't recommend cutting carbs really at any point, but if you do want to go slightly lower carb, I would say that, you know, the follicular and the ovulatory phases might be the phase to do it. But again, I'm not saying keto, I'm not saying super low carb, but maybe it would be the time to increase protein a little bit more, drop the carbs a little bit and increase um, your fat. But during the luteal phase, you want to have those nutrient-rich carbohydrates for sure. What else? Um, Again, we want to focus on anti-inflammatory foods and spices like turmeric and ginger because that's going to help with inflammation. Um, And then I would just say to increase foods that are going to help, that have a lot of water content that are going to kind of be like natural diuretics to help you with bloating. So drinking a lot of water, adding electrolytes to your water. I love the brand Ultima because they're sugar-free electrolytes. Um, And then, you know, diuretic rich foods. So like asparagus is one that's known to be a diuretic, can kind of help flush the body. So it can help with bloating. Um, And then adding things like lemon to your water is going to be really helpful. Um, doing more water-focused foods, so like watermelon and cucumbers, just really giving yourself a lot of that kind of stuff. Celery, um, bell peppers, those are going to be some of the main ones that I would say to increase that can help with bloating as well. So I think those are going to be all of the main tips that I give. And as you can tell, I'm not telling you, okay, eat this, don't eat that. I'm just giving you things to be mindful of, to kind of tweak and be just more in tuned with. And when it comes to supplements, that would be like a whole nother podcast. But a couple things that you might consider would be, like I said, magnesium. Um, If you are someone who has cramps, red raspberry leaf tea can be really good. You can start drinking that the week before your period. And while you're on your period, I would order an organic variation. Amazon's a great place to find one. Um, If you have really bad period pain and you want to swap out all the ibuprofen for something way more supportive, Semaine Health has a PMS and period support supplement, which is all herbal. It's clinically tested. It's incredible. And I'll link that in the show notes as well. 
Um, and then B complex is really important for hormone production and energy. So it can help significantly with your energy levels, which is something that a lot of women can experience with PMS. Um, vitamin D3 for mood boosting, again, super important during the luteal phase and anytime that it's not sunny outside. Um, so you can be a little bit more intuitive with when you use it. I, I actually am currently not taking a D3 because I'm spending a lot of time in the sun right now, but for sure when I'm not, I'm always taking a D3. Um, so those are some of the main things that I would recommend looking into. But again, I don't, I don't like to recommend a ton of supplements without knowing your unique hormone levels and what you actually need for your body. But these are ones that I would say in general can be really supportive. Another one would be omega-3s. Most of us aren't getting the amount of omega-3s, those essential fatty acids that we need to support hormone production. Our hormones are created from fat. So we need enough fat to support optimal hormone production. So again, that's something else that we want to include all month long. Lastly, um, I do want to answer the question what about, uh, what about seed cycling? A lot of people wonder if they should do seed cycling along with cycle syncing. So we used to be into seed cycling as a family business, but we recently shifted our stance based on the research because even though there's, a, even though there's amazing benefits of eating seeds regularly, most reports of seed cycling are anecdotal, which I would say is actually really important. I am a huge fan of anecdotal evidence. I think it's so important. We need that. But I also think that because there's not a lot of science to back it up and because it can actually be almost like another form of stress for a lot of people feeling like they have to only eat seeds during certain times of their menstrual phase, their menstrual cycle, I kind of am more in the camp of having a balanced approach with it. There's a slew of proven health benefits to consuming seeds, like the increased dietary fiber, the increased protein, the omega-3s. So what I would say is having the seeds that are recommended in a seed cycling protocol all month long is going to be amazing. So basically seed cycling is where you switch from, you have flax seeds and pumpkin seeds the first half of your cycle. And then at ovulation, you switch to sesame and um, sunflower seeds. And it's supposed to be beneficial based on where you are in your cycle and align with what your hormones are doing to better support improving symptoms and also regulating your cycle. But the body mode the body mobilizes nutrients differently across the phases of your menstrual cycle, but it doesn't mean that there's necessarily a benefit to shifting seed intake at different phases. And we love herbalist Aviva Ram. And what she says about it is that our bodies tightly regulate how nutrients are utilized. And additionally, nutrient stores accumulate over time and usually necessitate larger quantities and longer timeframes of regular use than occur in a seed cycling protocol. So rather than feel like you have to switch your seeds at different times of the month, I would just say, you know, get a lot, bunch of different seeds, like yes, sesame, sunflower, flax, and pumpkin, but you can also incorporate other seeds like chia seeds and hemp seeds. They're really great, really rich sources of protein and have those throughout the month. Try to enjoy them organic, fresh, and ground whenever possible. When you can have them fresh and you can grind them, that's going to enhance the bioavail bioavailability and the benefits of the seeds. 
But also know that not everybody does well with every seed. For some people, they don't do well with it. Maybe it impacts their digestion or they just, you know, don't enjoy the way it tastes. So you have to learn what seeds really work well for you. I'm a huge fan of flax seeds and especially during actually the follicular and ovulatory phase when our hormone levels like estrogen are increasing, it can help to, again, kind of sweep excess estrogen, excess hormone, excess um, toxins out of the body. So in that way, those flax seeds could be really beneficial. So I would just say to enjoy them throughout the month, figure out the ones that you like, enjoy them on top of salads, mixed into smoothies as butters, like however you're going to like having them is how you're going to be consistent with them. So again, there's amazing benefits to consuming them throughout the month. Um, like I said, flax is great for estrogen and progesterone balance. All four seeds have high levels of micronutrients and fatty acids. And a lot of these nutrients and fatty acids can help to reduce PMS symptoms and improve your menstrual cycle experience. All right. Anything else that I wanted to touch on? I feel like this has already been so long. I wanted to keep it short, but obviously I had a lot to say and I think I covered quite a bit. So hopefully this allows you to see that there's not just one way of doing things and that there are certain principles that you can tune into and follow and get more clear on. They're going to help you to actually learn to sync your workouts and your foods and your self-care practices with where you are in the different phases of your menstrual cycle without feeling like it's a rigid protocol, without feeling like it can only be done one way or the other. And like I said, if you get to a certain phase and you don't feel the way that potentially you quote unquote should, like you get to the ovulation phase and you don't have higher sex drive, you don't have higher energy levels, that's going to just show you that, you know, okay, we need to do a little bit of investigating. Why don't I feel great? You know, and also have grace with yourself, knowing that maybe you've traveled a lot this season, or maybe you're in a particularly stressful season of life. Maybe you've experienced a job change or a move or a death in the family. And regardless of what, you know, your hormones are doing, you may just feel more run down. You may not feel as prone and as capable to do the same workouts that you were doing prior to the season of life. You may have cravings for different types of food. You may find that you need different support when it comes to self-care. So our life is always going to ebb and flow. There's going to be curveballs. There's going to be things that pop up that kind of change the trajectory. And it's really just about meeting you where you're at and making these little tweaks and changes. But I do find that having these principles is really helpful because it allows you to have more grace with yourself. For me, it's been a game changer. I mean, the main things that I implement is the iron-rich foods, the week of my period, increasing anti-inflammatory foods, making sure that I'm getting my protein throughout the entire month, increasing my nutrient-rich carbohydrates and warming, comforting foods the week before my period and the week of my period, which is something I didn't mention, but increasing warm, comforting foods during those phases can be really helpful too. Um, I should have also mentioned bone broth is really awesome for the collagen content and just collagen in general, which can help heal and seal the gut lining. So that's something that can be really great all month long, but especially 
during your period week when you have a little bit more inflammation. But yeah, I mean, for me, it's truly those kinds of things, reducing caffeine and alcohol the week before my period and the first couple of days of my period, um, reducing social events during that time, um, really eliminating a ton of cardio during that time. And then during my ovulatory and follicular phase, that's when I'm starting to sign up for more fun classes. I'm going for more hikes. I'm trying new things. I'm being a bit more social. I'm saying yes to more things. And those are some of the main ones. Honestly, I keep it really basic. I track my cycle. I use the aura ring. I look at my cervical fluid um, around ovulation and I just am in the flow with it. And sometimes I get a little bit more tuned in where, you know, I'm, I'm being a even more intentional about certain foods that I'm introducing in or ones that I'm taking out. But for the most part, I'm in flow with my body and I just tune in and I just listen and I adjust as needed based on that. So I hope this has been helpful. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to me on Instagram at body bliss by Jess. Hopefully everything I mentioned, I'll put in the show notes, but if I forgot something, reach out to me. And if you want a part two, if you have more questions, let me know. I would love to do a part two. If this was helpful, I would love to hear about that. Please do leave us a rating review and subscribe to the podcast if you're enjoying these kind of episodes, if you want to hear more, because this is how we reach more people, bring on more guests, and also connect with all of you. So please reach out, please connect. And remember, even if nothing feels right today, you tuning into this podcast and opening your mind is enough. Change doesn't happen overnight. Be patient and kind with yourself and good things will come. See you next time.